hello there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. everyone. I hope you're all feeling chirpy today and ready for another guest, a really inspiring woman. You know, life sometimes presents situations that change our lives forever. These events make us stop, think and pivot from what we're doing and take us in a direction that is foreign to us. We find ourselves, as the saying goes, thrown in the deep end and we must sink or swim. Jan Latter had a life-changing experience that took her on a new journey, one that has raised much awareness of endangered animals across the globe. Welcome, Jan. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to have you here today, and I've got to know you a little bit over the last couple of years and all the amazing things that you do. Jan, tell us about your early life. Well, I started, um, actually I bolted school at 14. Oh! (laughs) I had a scholarship, so I was allowed to do that. And I went to art school, um, and then I went on to advertising. I very quickly learned that the glass ceiling was really a cement block. I had an experience uh, with the advertising group. We, We were in four groups, and we had a campaign we had to do. Uh, My campaign was the one that was chosen, but the managing director at the time said, great idea, Jan, I'll get one of the men to do it. Ah, and what year was this, Jan, roughly? Oh, goodness, I'd need a calculator for that. (laughs) I was about um, 19. 19. So imagine, you know, it wouldn't happen today, Jan, would it, that they, I think I'll give it to one of the men. I hope not. I think hopefully they've learnt a little bit now that yes. that we as women are equally as capable, and I say equally, not more mm. capable, but equally as capable yeah. to do a great job. So after after this happened, where did you go next? What happened? Uh, I was married and then I was married a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second husband was in advertising uh, in a competitive agency, as I was, and he was sent to Japan. That was a wonderful year. I, uh, I wasn't allowed to work. I didn't have a visa. But I used to um, be paid to have conversation about Australian advertising with Japanese advertising men. Uh, we would uh, meet at the Imperial Hotel. Uh, we would have a conversation about Woman's Weekly and Woman's Day. Mm, fascinating. And then he would put this huge pile of notes on the table. I always had a silk scarf, which I would fling over the top of it in embarrassment. <laughs> and then we would do our formal uh, Dolmarakatu, you know, 
thank you, goodbye. Uh, and this was incredible. Later on, I was persuaded to host a TV program. In Japan? In Japan, called JCTV. And I wanted to be behind the scenes. Um, I was used to advertising and doing commercials. But they wanted the blonde with the boobs, so (laughs) I became a hostess. (laughs) I'm sure you were very exotic to them. I suppose so, in a way. (laughs) But I was new to Tokyo. I didn't know anyone. So I just started interviewing all Y&R's clients. Um, And that really knocked fear out of me for the rest of my life because I was a very shy person. And to host this live was really incredible. Mm. After that, um, my husband was asked to go to Hong Kong to open Y&R there. And unfortunately, the agency that I was in, uh, they, they lost all their clients to Y&R, their, their top three clients, and I was fired on the spot. And this was sort of traumatic. You know, advertising was my whole life and my career. So uh, I just, I didn't know what to do next. And then my husband decided he really wanted to be gay. He wanted to live his life as a gay man. So here I was in a foreign country with no job, no visa, no money, and nowhere to live. And so you had moved from Japan to Hong Kong with your husband at this point? Yes. And so that's when he decided he he was going to come out, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> so I had the choice of going back to Australia and having a highly paid advertising job. But Hong Kong had an energy and a vitality and I I decided to stay. And this was a major turning point in my life because without the visa or money or anything, I really had to be brave enough to reinvent myself and stay and live in Hong Kong. So a lot of painful, very poor years followed But eventually I got the right to publish Regent Magazine for the world. And uh, that was the start of ten fabulous years of my life. Um, I got two partners, one the editor, one the production man. I was a creative director and it was wonderful. Tell me about Regent Magazine. It went to each guest in every hotel in the region hotels oh, so all over the, the world. Oh, it was the region hotel. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. And I went all over the world uh, for them because uh, I was creating their advertising and uh, a lot of the advertising um, and, and corporate brochures and things went in, in another form into, into the magazine. So it was wonderful, and with that success, um, I got Mandarin Magazine, the same, and then four wonderful trips to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, where I produced a, a big sort of glossy uh, book for them, and all this was absolutely fantastic. Then Hyatt asked me to go all over Asia for their creative work, and then everything came down like a pack of cards when the Chinese handover came, I lost a lot. But I discovered 
Africa. And so what year was the Chinese handover? What decade? 1997. 1997. So this is really quite recent, yeah. you know, a lot of this. So, so then you discovered Africa. Yes. I'm going to stop right there and we're going to have a song first of all because I think this is a really, really massive part of your life. You chose three songs, one of them... We're about to talk about Africa. <laughs> Jan, what would that song be? <laughs> it would be out of Africa. Yes. And do I need to ask why or we just no. listen to the song? Yes, it, out of Africa was often in my head when I was in Africa. <laughs> well, this is out of Africa. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. My guest in the studio today is Jan Latter, and she has had an astonishing life. Jan, we just briefly spoke about Africa. How did you end up going to Africa? One day I saw a beautiful photo essay by Carla Mann in the Regent uh, magazine. I'd been designing it and the photographs were mesmerising and I thought, I have to go to Africa. And with the excuse of writing a couple of captions and meeting Carla Mann, I went to Africa. I was sitting in the garden with Carl and his wife, Cathy, and I saw a cheetah walking towards me and I thought, oh my goodness, should I say, you know, there's a cheetah in the garden? <laughs> but uh, obviously it was Carl's cheetah and it walked up to Carl. Carl sort of lovingly started patting it and I was allowed to pat it very briefly, but it started my great love affair with cheetahs. And I said to Carl, I wanted to see the mountain gorillas. It was a little dangerous because that terrible war 26 years ago had just started. So there were two types of gorillas in the mountains. Mm. But Carl made arrangements for me to go. And when I got there, I joined um, a small group. And we climbed up the mountain. And... We were told never to look a gorilla in the eye. It was considered threatening. But I'd been with Carl's uh, um, very large chimps. And the big silverback turned round and looked at me. I was in a crouch position and I thought, oh, I have to sort of put my head down. And as I looked up again, I don't know what happened, but that moment, eye to eye with this big silverback mountain gorilla, changed my life and my career. It was incredible. I, we, we came down the mountain, and I thought it was so sad that only 600 mountain gorillas were left in the whole world. With my advertising training, I thought... I'm going to make books for children on endangered animals. I didn't want to use illustrations or cartoons. I wanted to tell a real story, so I had to learn to be a wildlife photographer to do that. 
I got Carl to give me advice because he was a famous wildlife photographer. And he said, don't go and have lessons. He said, you've got to come to Africa and you've got to learn in the wild. You have to research every animal you want to photograph. You've got to know exactly what they're going to do. You have to know about their body movements, uh, their dung, everything. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I got myself in a lot of danger, but I learned. And with the 14 uh, children's books that I managed to create, um, it was just a wonderful experience and a lovely turning point in my life. Well, I think it's fortunate you had a creative side to you because not everybody can be a wonderful photographer. Uh, but how exciting to make children's books. It must have been really, really very fulfilling. Yes, it was. Um, once I got over my nervousness of talking to children, uh, I really enjoyed it. And I went to Hong Kong each year. I was even there during the riots for 10 days, talking at a different school every day. Um, I've talked at um, schools in Singapore, uh, Shanghai, Beijing, festivals there. And it's so rewarding when a child comes up and says, I want to do what you do when I grow up. So you're inspiring a future generation. I and, hope so. Yeah, and hopefully allowing our endangered animals to live on. Yes. Have you ever been in a dangerous situation? Yes, top of the list uh, was when I was at a camp. Uh, I always travel alone and I was the only person in the camp. So I was having dinner with the camp manager. Suddenly there was this great banging noise. We were in the mess tent and we looked around and the lion, big male lion, was chasing a wildebeest through the middle of the tent. <laughs> You're joking. Nope. What did you do? Did, where did you go? I was rigid with fear and stood perfectly still, <laughs> which was everything. I, I mean, I always did that. There's nowhere to run, so you've just got to stand perfectly still. The Maasai came running down, and I felt a little safer when I was with them because they knew all the lion behaviour. As it turned out, um, the lion got his kill, but then I had to get back to my tent. Oh. And I said to Roloff, the camp manager, um, what will I do? And he said, oh, not a problem. Two Maasai will walk with you back to the tent. So I'm trying to be invisible in, among these two huge African men. And they were walking to my tent, swinging their torches around, picking up some lines on the left. But there was one line just beyond my tent with its eyes glowing in the torchlight. I grabbed hold of one of the men and I said, we can't keep walking, it's too dangerous, look. And they said in their wonderful lyrical way, it is okay, Jan. You are closer to the tent than the line is. <laughs> yes. The desire to run was intense. <laughs> But they got me into the tent safely and I sort of walked around the tent thinking, you know, can a lion get in? Uh, there was this flap at the back with the outdoor shower and a rather flimsy sort of section of the tent. And I thought, 
no, I can't think like that. I've had too much excitement for one night. Just go to bed. <laughs> oh, man. Was your mind able to shut down and sleep? Yes. In fact, I, I uh, as soon as I got in the tent after wondering if I was safe, I just wrote it all down, you know, which is the time to, to start writing. So journaling and yep. making notes. What about orangutans? Have you ever had um, any dangerous experiences with orangutans? Yes. I was with my guide um, in the rainforest and I was sitting on um, just a, a tree stump and a lot of the orangutans who'd been uh, orphaned but released into the wild had a platform with a lot of bananas and there was a crashing through the trees and this huge male orangutan came down to the platform and all the orangutans on the platform bolted for the trees. And I said to my guide, what's happening? And he said, this is a very aggressive orangutan. And I said, well, what will I do to keep myself safe? And he looked around and said, well, there's a triangle of trees over there, so... If anything happens, just stand in the middle of that safety of the triangle. I wasn't so sure about that. But this male was magnificent. And I started taking his photographs. And I was aware of some tourists walking through. And all of a sudden, through my lens, I could see he was about to charge. The tourists he wanted... You think he was about to charge the tourists? No, he was about to charge me. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> He'd been staring at me the whole time that I was taking his photograph, which was a magnificent photograph to have. But I thought, why is he staring at me the whole time? Anyhow, when he charged, I stood perfectly still again, and about 130 kilos of barreling red hair came flying past me. And it took a while to recover, and I looked around for my guide, and he's laughing. I said, why are you laughing? That's not funny at all. And he said, look behind you. I looked behind me, and the big male had been looking at a female orangutan <laughs> who was just behind me. <laughs> so he just had mating on his mind. <laughs> he didn't have Jan Laffer on his mind at all. He was looking straight through you. <laughs> You're, he was oblivious, probably, to you even being there. Yes, yes. Um, I think when a big male wants to mate, um, that's his focus. <laughs> Did the tourists see all of this happening? Well, they just screamed and ran everywhere and just created chaos. Um, that's why I was standing perfectly still. What was this triangle of trees? How was that going to help you? Well, I guess he thought, you know, the the juxtaposition of the triangle, that the male wouldn't sort of go into that little sort of safe area, let's say. I, I, I'm sure these guides know exactly <laughs> what they're doing, but sometimes you have to wonder. You yes. would, you'd, there'd always be that fear within me, I yeah. think. But I, I can, I can also understand the beauty of what mm. you've seen. I've not been to South Africa or Africa. I was meant to go last year, yeah, um, and then. You know, of course, COVID hit, so I didn't actually get to go. But one day, Lark Ascending, that's a song that you've chosen today. Share, share with us about this song. I usually put that on 
when I'm editing because when I come back from a trip, I have thousands and thousands of images that I have to edit. I have to find the hero ones that tell the animal story. And that music sort of is calming um, because it's really a great responsibility, or I find it's a great responsibility, to choose that perfect photograph that tells the animal story. Well, this song is called Lark Ascending. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly. I'm in the studio today with Jan Latter and we've been talking about her extraordinary career changes and we've been discussing how she was almost attacked by an orangutan, by default I'm going to say. It was more interested in the female orangutan behind her. Jan, you spent quite a lot of time in Hong Kong your husband decided when you were in Hong Kong to come out that he was gay. How difficult was it for you living in Hong Kong as a female? It was very difficult. Um, When I left the marriage, I had to find a job, which was difficult. I couldn't afford my rent, which was high. I... um, I had no furniture. (laughs) I had to think about what food I could afford to eat. Grew my hair long. Um, But gradually, uh, friends advised me on uh, different companies that would be interested in uh, taking me on. And one company uh, called Dairy Farm was, was great. And from that, I finally got money, (laughs) furniture. And I started a company called JD Designs. My surname was Davis at the time. And I found that interesting because I would quote on a job. I was designing a lot of annual reports at the time. That was the only avenue I could sort of get into. And uh, one client was wonderful because without meeting him, I quoted and he accepted and then I met him, and he kept looking around for the mail. Ah. <laughs> and just because of the initials, he had no idea I was female. But uh, with Oriental Grace, he accepted me, and he was my client for 10 years. Other clients were difficult, and especially a Jardine client. Uh, he gave me hell. Uh, I mean, he didn't like working with a woman. So I went out and had a three-piece blue pinstripe suit made. Ah. I dressed in a male suit. I stood in his doorway with a poise with an umbrella and a briefcase. And he looked at me and had a sense of humor for the first time. We sat in the conference room and he said, Who's your tailor? (laughs) (laughs) But after that, 
Um, when I was established, I started to uh, do what I call calligraphy of the body. I started to draw uh, the, n- the naked male and female body. And someone saw all my drawings and said, these are good. Uh, you should have an exhibition. Mm. I was too embarrassed to take them to the framer. But I did have the exhibition and it was very successful. And um, that was just an interesting way to get rid of the hurt for some reason. So I bet you looked good in that pinstripe suit. Did they tailor it to your shape? Yes. <laughs> so it wasn't like a very masculine suit. It was a really good tailoring. You know, it's so easy to find, or it used to be. I haven't mm-hmm. been to Hong Kong for a long time, but it was very easy to find good tailors yes. in, in Hong Kong and other Asian countries. Well, one night George Melly was uh, playing his jazz uh, and uh, he kept looking across the dusty room at me, the smoky room. And he, I don't know whether he knew I was a male or a female, but he called me afterwards, you know, to invite me uh, for a drink. But the other nice thing that happened in a very smoke-filled room was um, at the FCC club, and Jeremy Irons was in town making a movie. And he kept looking across the room at me, and at that time I looked a little bit like um, Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. And everyone kept nudging me, saying, look, he keeps looking at you. Go over and say something. So I went over and we talked for a while until a lawyer who felt he was very important pushed me out of the way. So I went back to my friends and kept having a drink. And as Jeremy was leaving, he walked past me and he ran his finger all the way down my arm. And it was just so sexy and so (laughs) electric. (laughs) Oh, I've got uh, goosebumps there. (laughs) So apart from his glorious voice, he has a lovely touch. (laughs) Oh. Do you have a favourite animal? Yes, the cheetah. Uh, When I was with Carla Mann, we were walking in the bush one day in a place called Nanuki. And I stopped to change do something with my camera. When I looked up, I saw a cheetah walking towards me and I thought, oh, <laughs> what will I do? And I looked back and Carl just beckoned me for, you know, get down. I knew I had to be calm, but the cheetah just flopped in the grass nearby. And when I went back the next year, I said, Carl, do you think we can find that cheetah again? So we went in the same area and I heard a cheetah purring before I saw it. I gave my camera to Carl. I knelt down. The cheetah came up to me. He allowed me to put my hand on its throat to feel the purring, the vibration. A second cheetah came up. And that moment was the most magic moment of my life. Nothing compares to that. I have seen a photo of you with the cheetah. Is that that moment? Did yes. Carl yes. actually get the shot? We own, Carl only got three frames. That was the length of the time the cheetahs allowed me to be close to them. Three magic frames. I think when we um, load this podcast, I have to put that photo as, your, as the image. Thank you. I sent you one. I yeah, think. yeah, I've got it. It's Good. great. <laughs> Maisie, a chimp. Musée. Musée. Yeah. 
Carl and Kathy rescued uh, Muse in the Congo from being eaten. Eaten uh, by? The barbecued chimps. Oh, barbecued chimps. And Muse was super ugly when he was little. Uh, I mean, he looked like an old man. And Carl said, uh, you know, he'll be too tough to eat. So they gave a donation. They brought Muse back, got permission to keep him. Uh, Carl was going to set up with Jane Goodall um, a sanctuary, which was delayed because of politicians wanting money, I suppose. So Muse has been living with them for over 30 years now. And I just love him to bits. He is just so naughty. Uh, and uh, there's a photograph of me uh, having a nice kiss and a cuddle with him. He was just so affectionate. He was wonderful. And he taught me so much about primates, which I needed to be with Jane Goodall's chimps in Uganda and, of course, the orangutans. And what about the elephant called Tara? Oh, Tara is a lovely big elephant in uh, India at Kipling Camp. Uh, Mark Rand uh, wrote a book called Travels on My Elephant. That's Camilla Puckerball's brother. Mm-hmm. And when he brought Tara back, he didn't want her to be mistreated. So um, the owners of Kipling Camp uh, took Tara, and uh, she's the most gentle, beautiful elephant. Uh, I used to go down to the river with her and wash her with a big rough stone, which she loved. (laughs) Oh, gosh, you've had some amazing experiences. I think I want to go on a trip to Africa with you. Yes. Are you doing any? Well, the other wonderful thing, um, in Nairobi there's an orphanage for uh, baby elephants. Uh, they do a wonderful job of rescuing babies that, um, you know, um, villagers say have been abandoned. And they bring them back and an African man actually sleeps with a baby elephant at night. Because it's traumatized, it's seen its mother being killed, and uh, gradually um, they form little groups. Uh, I've adopted eight elephants, Aww. eight babies to date, and my last little baby has become become a little mini matriarch to a little group of arriving orphans. Oh, <laughs> how lovely! Gosh, imagine gorgeous. saying you've got eight little elephants to your name. It's gorgeous. I did it my way, Mm. Frank, that man Frank Sinatra. (laughs) What do you love about this song? Well, I just love, I've always loved his voice, but I just had to call my book Doing It My Way because of this song. (laughs) This is Frank Sinatra, My Way. Welcome back. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. Oh, thank you, Frankie. (laughs) That was absolutely beautiful, my way. And we're talking about Jan Latter, or I'm talking to Jan Latter about her way, and this is her way of doing life. Jan You have recently written a book. Tell us about your book. Well, I was persuaded um, to write my memoir 
I started on Christmas Day, and I really just didn't stop. I've never written for adults before. My life has always been writing for children. So I just found it difficult to open all the closed doors in my mind, all those memories that you tuck away and don't want to bring out. And I decided to bring them out to help women uh, and men to be brave. Uh, Really bad things happen to us. And usually after bad things, good things will follow. And that's been my life all the way through. Uh, I've had terrible life-threatening illnesses and accidents. But always on the other side, something magic happens. And I just felt that I wanted to share that. So my book really is about being brave. I think sometimes... When things go wrong in your life and you've come across tough times, some people really struggle to stand up again and see a future. Mm. And I think that's what your message is, that there is a future on the other side and we can stand up again and things will pass. And also the courage to uh, reinvent yourself. I mean... No one really uh, taught me how to um, talk on the JCTV program. Uh, Carl sort of helped me with photography. Um, In the early years, uh, I didn't learn how to do fashion drawing, but I just did elongated bodies and hoped for the best. (laughs) But uh, you don't have to have a certificate. You don't have to say... I've never been taught how to do this. You don't have to say I'm too old. You just have to try and do it. I agree entirely. And I think people like yourself who stand up and just have a go have so much fun doing it. And Mm. the sense of achievement, am I correct? Yes, yes. It's a real sense of achievement to actually hold a project in your hand Mm. or to actually look at what you've done and go, wow, and celebrate it. Well, as I was going through all the chapters, I I kept thinking, have I really done all this? (laughs) And I think it's important for family members to actually be able to read Mm. and, and know what you've done because, you know, life's over in a blink of an eye. Yes. And to record this history of of what you've done, and every one of us has a story. We all bring different things to the table, and our our experiences that aren't so great are lessons to be learned learned. Yeah, by yourself and for others, that they show Mm. there is a way out of this. It's not all doom and gloom, Mm. and sometimes it is really hard, though. And I think women should learn how to... um, be strong. I I think my Asian experience, because I was in Hong Kong for 27 years and Japan for a year, and I find if I'm in a difficult situation, I think Asian, I usually get my own way. I had um, a a whole pallet of books arrive on TNT and a very rude man 
just dumped everything in front of my garage and was uh, he wasn't going to help me, he wasn't going to move. And I thought, I'm really stuck. So I went up to him and said, would you do this to your mother? Oh, <laughs> and-, and he got a shock and he grumbled and he said, oh, well, I guess I'll help, you know, move the boxes into the warehouse. So uh, he did, and the first box was Ollie the orangutan, and he said, oh, my daughter loves orangutans. And I said, let's open the box, and your daughter will be the very first person to have Ollie the orangutan book. We could have got married after that. (laughs) Now, so the name of your um, the book you've just written? Doing It My Way. Oh, Frank. (laughs) You've got someone that's doing it her way. (laughs) And Jan, how do if that if someone would like to read your book, where can they? How can they find out about it? How can they get a copy? I think go uh, to go onto my um, email first, which is all lowercase no dots, Jan Latter, spelled L A T T A, at true to life books dot com dot au. And so, other books um, you've written and, and well, you've published a lot of books, photography books, etc. about animals. Can you explain those books? Yes, the True to Life animal books, um, inspired by the gorilla, tells the animal story in photographs. So the books start, hello, I'm Ellie the elephant. So the animals are talking to children about where they live, how they live, um, where they hunt, what they hunt. And a lot of details, really close-up details of their hooves or their ears or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of information and activities in, in the back of every book. So that's the format of 14 um, books. I've been to India twice, following the tigers. Uh, Uganda for Dr. Jane Goodall's chimps. Uh, to... Borneo for the orangutans, the mountains of China for pandas, uh, Sri Lanka for my leopard book, which took 15 years to finish because leopards are the most difficult animals to see, uh, and 11 trips totally to Africa. Well, Jan, thank you so much for joining us today um, and sharing your story and now your your book doing it my way um you how you're just so inspiring and uh you've lived a very rich life and congratulations thank you so much (laughs) well i'll look forward to hearing of your next adventure too i'm sure there's more on the way so that's it for today and uh see you next time thank you karen you're welcome jan So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Ageing Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all night
Let your heart be alive. 